Blog Talk Radio.
of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Uh, today is Sunday. It's October the 17th, uh, 2021. And uh, we're broadcasting live uh, from our studios in downtown Detroit. Later on, uh, the program uh, will feature our regular Pan-African Newswire report. We'll have dispatches on the heightening unrest in the Republic of Sudan over the future of that war-rich state. Tunisia has warned other nations, uh, particularly the West, not to interfere in its internal affairs. There's been a discovery of mass graves in the embattled neocolonial North African state of Libya. We'll have details on that as well. And the Republic of Namibia is relaxing some of its restrictions imposed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. 
In the second and third hours, we begin uh, focus on the history and legacy of the Black Panther Party on uh, the 55th anniversary of the founding of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. Uh, we review speeches delivered uh, in the state of California. One uh, delivered at the University of California at Berkeley on October 29, 1966, by the then uh, chairperson of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, Stokely Carmichael, who was later known as Kwame Ture. Later, uh, we listened to another speech delivered approximately two years later on October the 4th of 1968 at the University of California in Los Angeles by the then uh, presidential candidate and minister of information of the Black Panther Party, Eldridge Cleaver. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll take a musical interlude and we'll be back with more of our program for this week. Sakorela yo 
ndenge banyoko linga isimba na yo Nakei oyeba oyo salinga Toboti te mama esani famie soni Oteti de masua obo sani pete na mutapi Masua nanga mama na zongi poka Masua nanga yeye obebisi mama bikila
he described the rolling coalition as narrow and uh, requires that it to evolve more groups to form a broad base that supports it. The ruling coalition includes the Sudanese civil society groups and political parties, except the groups that have been allied to the former government of uh, President Hassan al-Bashir. Also, um, there are members of the ruling coalition, the other signatories of the Juba Peace Agreement. The Sudanese Communist Party withdrew from the FFC to protest the implementation of the IMF World Bank-supported economic reforms. The armed groups participate in the transitional government according to the power-sharing deal provided in the Juba Peace Agreement. The ruling FFC coalition plans to organize a rally on October the 21st to demand the implementation of reforms agreed in constitutional document especially the unification of army, militia, and other uh, armed groups. And you can read more on this uh, issue and uh, more details about the current developments in the very dynamic uh, situation in the Republic of Sudan by just logging on to uh, the Pan-African Newswire. In the North African state of Tunisia, uh, President uh, Kais Saeed, uh, just uh, four days ago, expressed his country's refusal to any interference in its internal affairs. And that's according to a statement released by the uh, Tunisian presidency. Tunisia is a free and independent state that refuses, quote, to put its sovereignty on the table for any negotiation, unquote. Saeed said uh, during the first ministerial council meeting he chaired after the new government was formed. Addressing the members of the new government, the Tunisian president highlighted the imperative of preserving the continuity of the state through its institutions, uh, calling on all officials, quote, to continue to make efforts to confront any challenges that arise and to serve the Tunisian people's interests. You're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal. In other news, in Libya, uh, the authorities on Tuesday recovered 25 unidentified bodies from five newly discovered mass graves in the city of Tahuna, uh, located uh, 90 kilometers south of the capital of Tripoli. Uh, Tahuna was once the Eastern Base Army's main military operations center during the war against the former UN-backed government in and around Tripoli. One grave contained 10 bodies, the second contained nine, the third contained four. And uh, each of the remaining two graves contained one body. The General Authority for Research and Identification has said, adding that a search is underway for more mass graves in the city. A week ago, 10 unidentified bodies were recovered from two mass graves in Tahuna. Since the beginning of the search in Tahuna in June of 2020, many mass graves containing dozens of unidentified bodies have been discovered in the city. The former UN-backed government accused the rival Eastern Base Army of mass killings in Tahuna. And uh, finally, the Republic of Namibia has further relaxed the country's COVID-19 regulations for the next 30 days. That's according to President Haj Gengab, who announced this on Friday. In his 35th public briefing with regard to the COVID-19 pandemic, Gengab said the number of people permitted at public gatherings will be increased up to 200 uh, from the previous 150, while the curfew time, which was previously at 11 p.m. local time, will be suspended altogether. 
Restrictions related to nightclubs, gambling houses, betting houses, and gyms will see those entities operating at half capacity, the president said. He said the decision comes after Cabinet met earlier this week and made deliberations. He said that, quote, uh, with the trend of declining COVID-19 positive cases, decreasing hospitalizations and deaths in the country, the Cabinet met this week to deliberate on the next dispensation of the public health regulations. And he went on to say that informed by available data and consistent uh, with the approach of evidence-based decision-making, I will today announce further relaxations of the measures in our national response. And uh, the new regulations uh, were effective as of October uh, the 16th. Uh, With that, uh, we're going to uh, conclude the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of our program. We want to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998, and since then, uh, it has published thousands upon thousands of articles and dispatches in numerous newspapers, uh, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to uh, the Pan-African Newswire, uh, all you need to do is go to our website, and that's at uh, panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's uh, panafricannews.blogspot.com. And uh, if you'd like to have access to today's Pan-African Journal, this special worldwide uh, radio broadcast uh, for Sunday, uh, October uh, the 17th, uh, 2021, all you need to do is go to the Pan-African Radio Network, and uh, that's at uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. And uh, by logging on to uh, Blog Talk Radio uh, forward slash Pan-African Journal, uh, not only can you have access uh, to uh, today's program, uh, but also well over 1,000 other archived editions of uh, the Pan-African Journal. This is uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Uh, We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program for this week.
Welcome back, and uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast. Uh, that was uh, Detroit's own Four Tops uh, with the track and title, You Keep Running Away. And uh, this month uh, represents the 55th anniversary of the founding of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense uh, in Oakland, California. And as we mentioned uh, in the previous broadcast, uh, the Black Panther concept and uh, organization uh, grew out of the uh, civil rights movement in the South, particularly uh, Lowndes County, Alabama, in uh, 1965 and 1966. Uh, Stokely Carmichael, due to his uh, activism in Lowndes County and, and also in Mississippi, was elected uh, chairperson of uh, SNCC in uh, June of 1966. Uh, in fact, I believe it was May of 1966. And um, this uh, speech we're going to hear now uh, was delivered uh, in October, October 29th of 1966, at the University of California at Berkeley uh, when uh, Carmichael was chair of uh, SNCC. And uh, this is an articulation of black power within the um, national as well as our international context of that time period. Let's listen in. Now, I mean, people talk about the draft, and they've talked about Vietnam, and many things. You know, the next and final speaker, you know, arrived here right out of the arms of the federal government, where he had been incarcerated you know, for over 60 hours at the St. Albans Naval Hospital in New York being investigated by the draft. You know, so that when people begin to say it's too less relevant, you know, whether you can intellectualize around the draft, speaking from a campus base, you know, we have to wonder about that. Because the next speaker said in the Harlem rally that if Johnson says, asks him to go, he'll tell him hell no. You see? Now, I think that, you know, out going into long historical analysis and developments of who the next speaker is, Stokely Carmichael, Chairman of SNCC. Thank you very much. A privilege and an honor to be in the white intellectual ghetto of the West. <laughs> we wanted to do a couple of things before we started. The first is that based on the fact that SNCC, uh, through the articulation of its program by its chairman, has been able to win elections in Georgia, Alabama, Maryland, and by our parents here, will win an election in California. 1968, I'm going to run for President of the United States. Uh, I just can't make it because I wasn't born in the United States. That's the only thing holding me back. We wanted to say that this is a student conference, as it should be, 
held on a campus and that we're not ever to be caught up in the intellectual masturbation of the question of black power. That's a function of people who are advertisers that call themselves reporters. Oh, for my members and friends of the press, my self-appointed white critics. I was reading uh, Mr. Bernard Shaw two days ago and I came across a very important quote which I think is most apropos for you. He says, all criticism is a autobiography. Dig yourself. Okay. The philosophers Camus and Sartre raised the question whether or not a man can condemn himself. The black existentialist philosopher who is pragmatic, Franz Fanon, answered the question. He said that man could not. Camus and Sartre does not. We in SNCC tend to agree with Camus and Sartre that a man cannot condemn himself. Were he to condemn himself, he would then have to inflict punishment upon himself. An example would be the Nazis. Any prisoner, any of the Nazi prisoners, who admitted after he was caught and incarcerated that uh, he committed crimes, that he killed all the many people that he killed, he committed suicide. The only ones who were able to stay alive were the ones who never admitted that they committed the crimes against people. That is, the ones who rationalized that Jews were not human beings and deserved to be killed or that they were only following orders. On a more immediate scene, the officials and the population of the white population in uh, Neshoba County, Mississippi, that's where Philadelphia was, could not could not condemn Rainey, his deputies, and the other 14 men that killed three human beings. They could not because they elected Mr. Rainey to do precisely what he did and that for them to condemn him will be for them to condemn themselves. In a much larger view, Snick says that white America cannot condemn herself and since we are liberal, we have done it. You stand condemned. Now, a number of things then arises from that answer of how do you condemn yourselves. seems to me that the institutions that function in this country are clearly racist and that they're built upon racism. And the question then is how can black people inside of this country move? And then how can white people who say they're not a part of those institutions begin to move? And how then do we begin to clear away the obstacles that we have in this society that make us live like human beings. How can we begin to build institutions that will allow people to relate with each other as human beings? This country has never done that, especially around the country of white or black. Now, several people have been upset because we said that integration was irrelevant when initiated by blacks and that, in fact, it was a subterfuge, an insidious subterfuge for the maintenance of white supremacy. Now we maintain that in the past six years or so, 
This country has been feeding us a thalatomite drug of integration and that some Negroes have been walking down a dream street talking about sitting next to white people and that that does not begin to solve the problem. That when we went to Mississippi, we did not go to sit next to Ross Barnett. We did not go to sit next to Jim Clark. We went to get them out of our way. And that people ought to understand that. That we were never fighting for the right to integrate. We were fighting against white supremacy. Now then, in order to understand white supremacy, we must dismiss the fallacious notion that white people can give anybody their freedom. No man can give anybody his freedom. A man is born free. You may enslave a man after he is born free. And that is in fact what this country does. It enslaves black people after they're born. So that the only act that white people can do is to stop denying black people their freedom. That is, they must stop denying freedom. They never give it to anyone. Now we want to take that to its logical extension so that we could understand then what its relevancy would be in terms of new civil rights bills. I maintain that every civil rights bill in this country was passed for white people, not for black people. For example, I am black. I know that. I also know that while I am black, I am a human being. Therefore, I have the right to go into any public place. White people didn't know that. Every time I tried to go into a place, they stopped me. So some boys had to write a bill to tell that white man he's a human being. Don't stop him. That bill was for that white man, not for me. I knew it all the time. I knew it all the time. I knew that I could vote and that that wasn't a privilege, it was my right. Every time I tried, I was shot, killed, or jailed, beaten, or economically deprived. So somebody had to write a bill for white people to tell them, when a black man comes to vote, don't bother him. That bill again was for white people, not for black people. So that when you talk about open occupancy, I know I can live any place I want to live. It is white people across this country who are incapable of allowing me to live where I want to live. You need a civil rights bill, not me. I know I can live where I want to live. So that the failure to pass a civil rights bill isn't because of black power, isn't because of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, is not because of the rebellions that are occurring in the major cities. It is incapability of whites to deal with their own problems inside their own communities. That is the problem of the failure of the Civil Rights Bill. And so in a larger sense, we must then ask, how is it that black people move? And what do we do? But the question in a greater sense is how can white people who are the majority and who are responsible for making democracy work 
make it work. They have miserably failed to this point. They have never made democracy work. Be it inside the United States, Vietnam, South Africa, the Philippines, South America, Puerto Rico, wherever America has been. She has not been able to make democracy work. So that in a larger sense, we not only condemn the country for what is done internally, but we must condemn it for what it does externally. We see this country trying to rule the world, and someone must stand up and start articulating that this country is not God and cannot rule the world. Now then, before we move on, we ought to develop the white supremacy attitudes that we're either conscious or subconscious of and how they run rampant through the society today. For example, the missionaries were sent to Africa. They went with the attitude that blacks were automatically inferior. As a matter of fact, the first act the missionaries did, you know, when they get to Africa was to make us cover up our bodies because they said it got them excited. We couldn't go bare-breasted anymore because they got excited. Now, when the missionaries came to civilize us because we were uncivilized, educate us because we were uneducated, and give us some, some literate studies because we were illiterate, they charged a price. The missionaries came with the Bible, and we had the land. When they left, they had the land, and we still have the Bible. And that has been the rationalization for Western civilization as it moves across the world and stealing and plundering and raping everybody in its path. Their one rationalization is that the rest of the world is uncivilized, and they are in fact civilized, and they are uncivilized. And that runs on today, you see, because what we have today is that we have what we call um, modern-day Peace Corps uh, missionaries, and they come into our ghettos, and they head start, uh, upward lift, bootstrap, and upward bound us into white society because they don't want to face the real problem, which is a man is poor for one reason and one reason only, because he does not have money, period. If you want to get rid of poverty, you give people money, period. And you ought not to tell me about people who don't work and you can't give people money without working, because if that were true, you'd have to start stopping Rockefeller, Bobby Kennedy, Lyndon Bain Johnson, Lady Bird Johnson, the whole Standard Oil, the Golf Club, all of them including probably a large number of the Board of Trustees of this university. So the question then clearly is not whether or not one can work, it's who has power. Who has power to make his or her act legitimate. That is all. And that this country, that power is invested in the hands of white people, and they make their acts legitimate. It is now, therefore, for black people to make our acts legitimate. 
Now we are engaged in a psychological struggle in this country, and that is whether or not black people will have the right to use the words they want to use without white people giving their sanction to it. And that we maintain whether they like it or not, we're going to use the word black power and let them address themselves to that. But that we are not going to wait for white people to sanction black power. We're tired waiting. Every time black people move in this country, they're forced to defend their position before they move. It's time that the people who are supposed to be defending their position do that. That's white people. They ought to start defending themselves as to why they have oppressed and exploited us. Now, it is clear that when this country started to move in terms of slavery, the reason for a man being picked as a slave was one reason, because of the color of his skin. If one was black, one was automatically inferior, inhuman, and therefore fit for slavery. So that the question of whether or not we are individually suppressed is nonsensical and it's a downright lie. We are oppressed as a group because we are black. Not because we're lazy, not because we're apathetic, not because we're stupid, not because we smell, not because we eat watermelon and have good rhythm. Right? We are oppressed because we are black. And in order to get out of that oppression, one must wield the group power that one has, not the individual power which this country then sets the criteria under which a man may come into it. That is what is called in this country as integration. You do what I tell you to do and then we'll let you sit at the table with us. And that we are saying that we have to be opposed to that. We must now set a criteria and that if there's going to be any integration, it's going to be a two-way thing. If you believe in integration, you can come live in what? You can send your children to the ghetto schools. Let's talk about that. If you believe in integration, then we're going to start adopting us some white people to live in our neighborhood. So it is clear that the question is not one of integration or segregation. Integration is a man's ability to want to move in there by himself. If someone wants to live in a white neighborhood and he is black, that is his choice. It should be his right. It is not because white people will not allow him. So vice versa, if a black man wants to live in the slums, that should be his right. Black people will let him. That is the difference. And it's a difference on which this country makes a number of logical mistakes when they begin to try to criticize the program articulated by SNCC. Now, we maintain that we cannot be afford to be concerned about 6% of the children in this country, black children, who you allow to come into white schools. We have 94% who still live in shacks. We are going to be concerned about those 94%. You ought to be concerned about them, too. So the question is, are we willing to be concerned about those 94%? Are we willing to be concerned about the black people who will never get to Berkeley, who will never get to Harvard, and cannot get an education, so you'll never get a chance to rub shoulders with them and say, well, he's almost as good as we are. He's not like the others. The question is, how can white society begin to move to see black people as human beings? I am black, therefore I am. Not that I am black and I must go to college to prove myself. I am black, therefore I am. And don't deprive me of anything and say to me that you must go to college before you gain access to X, Y, and Z. It is only a rationalization for one's oppression. The, the political parties in this country do not meet the needs of people on a day-to-day -day basis. 
The question is how can we build new political institutions that will become the political expressions of people on a day-to-day -day basis? The question is how can you build political institutions that will begin to meet the needs of Oakland, California. And the needs of Oakland, California is not 1,000 policemen with submachine guns. They don't need that. They need that least of all. The question is how can we build institutions where those people can begin to function on a day-to-day -day basis where they can get decent jobs, where they can get decent houses, and where they can begin to participate in the policy and major decisions that affect their lives. That's what they need, not Gestapo troops, because this is not 1942, and if you play like Nazis, we're playing back with you this time around. Get hip to that. The question then is how can white people move to start making the major institutions that they have in this country function the way it is supposed to function? That is the real question. And can white people move inside their own community and start tearing down racism where in fact it does exist? Where it exists. It is you who live in Cicero and stop us from living there. It is white people who stop us from moving into Grenada. It is white people who make sure that we live in the ghettos of this country. It is white institutions that do that. They must change in order, in order for America to really live on a basic principle of human relationships. A new society must be born. Racism must die and the economic exploitation of this country and non-white peoples around the world must also die must also die. Now there are several programs that we have in the South amongst the poor white communities. We're trying to organize poor whites on a base where they can begin to move around the question of economic exploitation and political disfranchisement. We know we've heard the theory several times but few people are willing to go into there. The question is, can the white activist not try to be a Pepsi generation who comes alive in the black community, but can he be a man who's willing to move into the white community and start organizing wherever organization is needed? Can he do that? The question is, can the white society or the white activists disassociate himself with two clowns who waste time parrying with each other rather than talking about the problems that are facing people in this state. Can you disassociate yourself with those clowns and start to build new institutions that will eliminate all idiots like them? And the question is, if we are going to do that, when and where do we start and how do we start? We maintain that we must start doing that inside the white community. Our own personal position politically is that we don't think the Democratic Party represents the needs of black people. We know it don't. And that if, in fact, white people really believe that, the question is if they're going to move inside that structure, how are they going to organize around a concept 
of whiteness based on true brotherhood and based on stopping exploitation, economic exploitation, so that there will be a coalition base for black people to hook up with. You cannot form a coalition based on national sentiment. That is not a coalition. If you need a coalition to readdress itself to real changes in this country, white people must start building those institutions inside the white community. And that is the real question, I think, facing the white activists today. Can they, in fact, begin to move into and tear down the institutions which have put it all in a trick bag that we've been into for the last hundred years? I don't think that we should follow what many people say that we should fight to be leaders of tomorrow. Frederick Douglass said that the youth should fight to be leaders today. And God knows we need to be leaders today because the men who run this country are sick. Are sick. So that can we on a larger sense begin now today to start building those institutions and to fight to articulate our position, to fight to be able to control our universities. We need to be able to do that. And to fight to control the basic institutions which perpetuate racism by destroying them and building new ones. That's the real question that faces us today. And it is a dilemma because most of us do not know how to work and that the excuse that most white activists find is to run into the black community. Now, we've maintained that we cannot have white people working in the black community, and we've made it on a psychological ground. The fact is that all black people often question whether or not they are equal to whites, because every time they start to do something, white people are around showing them how to do it. If we are going to eliminate that for the generation that comes after us, then black people must be seen in positions of power doing and articulating for themselves. For themselves. That is not to say that one is a reverse racist. It is to say that one is moving on a healthy ground. It is to say what the philosopher thought says. One is becoming an anti-racist racist. And this country can't understand that. Maybe it's because it's all caught up in racism. But I think what you have in SNCC is an anti-racist racism. We are against racists. Now, if everybody who is white see themselves as a racist and then see us against them, they're speaking from their own guilt position, not ours. Now then, the question is, how can we move to begin to change what's going on in this country? I maintain, as we have in SNCC, that the war in Vietnam is an illegal and immoral war. And the question is, what can we do to stop that war? What can we do to stop the people who, in the name of our country, are killing babies, women, and children? What can we do to stop that? And I maintain that we do not have the power in our hands to change that institution, to begin to recreate it so that they learn to leave the Vietnamese people alone, and that the only power we have is the power to say, Hell no to the draft. We have to say...
we have to say to ourselves that there is a higher law than the law of a racist named McNamara. There is a higher law than the law of a fool named Rusk. There is a higher law the law of a buffoon named Johnson. It's the law of each of us. The law of each of us. It is the law of each of us saying that we will not allow them to make us hired killers. We will stand packed. We will not kill anybody that they say kill. And if we decide to kill, we're going to decide who we're going to kill. And this country will only be able to stop the war in Vietnam when the young men who are made to fight it begin to say, hell no, we ain't going. Now then, as a failure, because the peace movement has been unable to get off the college campuses where everybody has a 2S and not going to get drafted anyway. And the question is, how can you move out of that into the white ghettos of this country and begin to articulate a position for those white students who do not want to go? We cannot do that. It is something uh, sometimes ironic that many of the peace groups have beginning to call us violent and say they can no longer support us, and we are in fact the most militant organization, peace or civil rights or human rights, against the war in Vietnam in this country today. There isn't one organization that has begun to meet our stance on the war in Vietnam. Because we not only say we are against the war in Vietnam, we are against the draft. We are against the draft. No man has the right to take a man for two years and train him to be a killer. A man should decide what he wants to do with his life. So the question then is it becomes crystal clear for black people because we can easily say that anyone fighting in the war in Vietnam is nothing but a black mercenary and that's all he is. Anytime a black man leaves a country where he can't vote to supposedly deliver the vote for somebody else, he's a black mercenary. Anytime a, anytime a black man leaves this country, gets shot in Vietnam on foreign ground and returns home and you won't give him a burial in his own homeland, he's a black mercenary. A black mercenary. And that even if I were to believe the lies of Johnson, if I were to believe his lies that we're fighting to give democracy to the people in Vietnam, as a black man living in this country, I wouldn't fight to give this to anybody. I wouldn't give it to anybody. So that we have to use our bodies and our minds in the only way that we see fit. We must begin like the, like the, 
philosopher Camus, to come alive by saying no. That is the only act in which we begin to come alive. And we have to say no to many, many things in this country. This country is a nation of thieves. It has stole everything it had, beginning with black people. Beginning with black people. And that the question is how can we move to start changing this country from what it is, a nation of thieves. This country cannot justify any longer its existence. We have become the policemen of the world. The Marines are our disposal to always bring democracy. And if the Vietnamese don't want democracy, well, damn it, we'll just wipe them the hell out because they don't deserve to live if they won't have our way of life. There is then, in a larger sense, what do you do on your university campus? Do you raise questions about the hundred black students who were kicked off campus a couple of weeks ago? Eight hundred? Eight hundred? And how does that question begin to move? Do you begin to relate people outside of the ivory tower on a university wall? Do you think you're capable of building those human relationships as the country now stands? You're fooling yourself. It is impossible for white and black people to talk about building a relationship based on humanity when the country is the way it is, when the institutions are clearly against us. We've taken all the myths of this country and we found them to be nothing but downright lies. This country told us that if we worked hard, we would succeed. And if that were true, we would own this country lock, stop, and bow. Lock, stop, and bow. It is we who have picked the cotton for nothing. It is we who are the maids in the kitchens of liberal white people. It is we who are the janitors, the porters, the elevator men. It is we who sweep up your college floors. Yes, it is we who are the hardest workers and the lowest paid. And the lowest paid. And that it is nonsensical for people to start talking about human relationships until they're willing to build new institutions. Black people are economically insecure. White liberals are economically secure. Can you begin to build an economic coalition? Are the liberals willing to share their salaries with the economically insecure black people they so much love? Then if you're not, are you willing to start building new institutions that will provide economic security for black people? That's the question we want to deal with. That's the question we want to deal with. We have to seriously examine the histories that we have been told. But we have something more to do than that. American students are perhaps the most politically unsophisticated students in the world. In the world. In the world. Across every country in this world, while we were growing up, students were leading the major revolutions of their countries. We have not been able to do that. They have been politically aware of their existence. In South America, our neighbors down below the border have one every 24 hours just to remind us that they're politically aware. And that we have been unable to grasp it because we've always moved in a field of morality and love while people have been politically jiving with our lives. And the question is, how do we now move politically and stop trying to move morally? You can't move morally against a man like Brown and Regan. You've got to move politically to cut them out of business.
You've got to move politically. You can't move morally against Lyndon Bain Johnson because he is an immoral man. He doesn't know what it's all about. So you've got to move politically. You've got to move politically. And if we have to begin to develop a political sophistication, which is not to be a parrot, the two-party system is the best party in the world. Eh? There is a difference between being a parrot and being politically sophisticated. We have to raise questions about whether or not we do need new types of political institutions in this country, and we in SNCC maintain that we need them now. We need new political institutions in this country. And any time, any time Lyndon Bain Johnson can head a party which has in it Bobby Kennedy, Wayne Morse, Eastland, Wallace, and all those others supposed to be liberal cats, there's something wrong with that party. They're moving politically, not morally. And that if that party refuses to see black people from Mississippi and goes ahead and sees racists like Eastland and his clique, it is clear to me that they're moving politically and that one cannot begin to talk morality to people like that. We must begin to think politically and see if we can have the power to impose and keep the moral values that we hold high. We must question the values of this society. And I maintain that black people are the best people to do that because we have been excluded from that society. And the question is we ought to think whether or not we want to become a part of that society. That's what we want to do. And that that is precisely what it seems to me that the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee is doing. We are raising questions about this country. I do not want to be a part of the American pie. The American pie means raping South Africa, beating Vietnam, beating South America, raping the Philippines, raping every country you've been. I don't want any of your blood money. I don't want it. don't want to be part of that system. And the question is how do we raise those questions? How do we raise them as activists? How do we begin to raise them? We have grown up and we are the generation that has found this country to be a world power, that has found this country to be the wealthiest country in the world. We must question how she got her wealth. That's what we're questioning and whether or not we want this country to continue being the wealthiest country in the world at the price of raping every everybody else across the world. That's what we must begin to question. And that because black people are saying we do not now want to become a part of you, we are called reversed racist. Ain't that a guess? <laughs> now then we want to touch on nonviolence. Because we see that again as the failure of white society to make nonviolence work. I was always surprised that Quakers who came to Alabama and counseled me to be nonviolent but didn't have the guts to start talking to James Clark to be nonviolent. That is where nonviolence needs to be preached to Jim Clark, not to black people. They have already been nonviolent too many years. 
The question is, can white people conduct their nonviolent schools in Cicero, where they belong to be conducted, not among black people in Mississippi? Can they conduct it among the white people in Grenada, six foot two men who kick little black children? Can you conduct nonviolent schools there? That is the question that we must raise. Not that you conduct nonviolence among black people. Can you name me one black man today who's killed anybody white and is still alive? Even after rebellion, when some black brothers throw some bricks and bottles, 10,000 of them have to pay the crime. Because when the white policeman comes in, anybody who's black is arrested because we all look alike. So that we have to raise those questions. We, the youth of this country, must begin to raise those questions. And we must begin to move to build new institutions that's going to speak to the needs of people who need it. We are going to have to speak to change the foreign policy of this country. One of the problems with the peace movement is that it's just too caught up in Vietnam. And that if we pulled out the troops from Vietnam this week, next week you'd have to get another peace movement for Santa Domingo. And the question is, how do you begin to articulate needs to change the foreign policy of this country? A policy that is decided upon rape, a policy on which the decisions are made upon getting economic wealth at any price. At any price. Now we articulate that we therefore have to hook up with black people around the world, and that hookup is not only psychological but becomes very real. If South America today were to rebel and black people were to shoot the hell out of all the white people there, as they should, as they should, then Standard Oil would crumble tomorrow. If South Africa were to go today, Chase Manhattan Bank would crumble tomorrow. If Zimbabwe, which is called Rhodesia by white people, were to go tomorrow, General Electric would cave in on the East Coast. The question is, how do we stop those institutions that are so willing to fight against communist aggression but closes their eye to racist oppression? That is the question that you raise. Can this country do that? Now, many people talk about pulling out of Vietnam. What will happen? If we pull out of Vietnam, there will be one less aggressor in there. We won't be there. We won't be there. And so the question is, how do we articulate those positions? And we cannot begin to articulate them from the same assumptions that the people in the country speak, because they speak from different assumptions than I assume what the youth in this country are talking about. That we're not talking about a policy or aid or sending Peace Corps people in to teach people how to read and write and build houses while we steal their raw materials from them. Is that what we're talking about? Because that's all we do. Well, underdeveloped countries need uh, information on how to become industrialized so they can keep their raw materials where they have it, produce them, and sell it to this country for the price it's supposed to pay. Not that we produce it and sell it back to them for a profit and keep sending our modern-day missionaries in, calling them the sons of Kennedy. And that if the youth are going to participate in that program, how do you raise those questions where you begin to control that Peace Corps program? How do you begin to raise them? How do we raise the questions of poverty? The assumption for this country is that if someone is poor, they are poor because of their own individual blight. Oh, they weren't born on the right side of town. They had too many children. Uh, 
They went in the army too early. Their father was a drunk. Uh, they didn't care about school. Uh, they made a mistake. That's a lot of nonsense. Poverty is well calculated in this country. It is well calculated. And the reason why the poverty program won't work is because the calculators of poverty are administering it. That's why it won't work. So how can we, as a youth in the country, move to start tearing those things down? We must move into the white community. We are in the black community. We have developed a movement in the black community. The challenge is that the white activist has failed miserably to develop the movement inside of his community. And the question is, can we find white people who are going to have the courage to go into white communities and start organizing them? Can we find them? Are they here? And are they willing to do that? Those are the questions that we must raise for the white activist. And we're never going to get caught up in questions about power. This country knows what power is, knows it very well. And it knows what black power is because it's deprived black people of it for 400 years. So it knows what black power is. But the question of why do black people, why do white people in this country associate black power with violence? And the question is because of their own inability to deal with blackness. If we had said Negro power, nobody would get scared. <laughs> everybody would support it. Uh, if we said power for colored people, everybody would be for that. But it is the word black. It is the word black that bothers people in this country and that's their problem, not mine. Their problem. Their problem. Now there's one modern day lie that we want to attack and then move on very quickly and that is the lie that says anything all black is bad. Now, you're all college university crowd. You've taken your basic logic course. You know about a major premise, a minor premise. So people have been telling me anything all black is bad. Let's make that our major premise. Major premise. Anything all black is bad. Minor premise or particular premise. I am all black. Therefore. I'm never going to be putting that trick back. I am all black and I'm all good. Anything all black is not necessarily bad. Anything all black is only bad when you use force to keep whites out. Now that's what white people have done in this country and they're projecting their same fears and guilt on us and we won't have it. We won't have it. Let them handle their own fears and their own guilt. Let them find their own psychologists. We refuse to be the therapy for white society any longer. We have gone mad trying to do it. We have gone stop raising mad trying to do it. I look at Dr. King on television every single day. And I say to myself, now there is a man who is desperately needed in this country. There is a man full of love. There is a man full of mercy. There is a man full of compassion. But every time I see Lyndon on television, I said, Martin, baby, you got a long way to go. So that the question stands as to what we are willing to do, how we are willing to say no, to withdraw from that system, 
and begin within our community to start to function and to build new institutions that will speak to our needs. In Lowndes County, we developed something called the Lowndes County Freedom Organization. It is a political party. The Alabama law says that if you have a party, you must have an emblem. We chose for the emblem a black panther, a beautiful black animal, which symbolizes the strength and dignity of black people. An animal that never strikes back until he's back so far into the wall, he's got nothing to do but spring out. Yeah. And when he springs, he does not stop. Now, there is a party in Alabama called the Alabama Democratic Party. It is all white. It has as its emblem a white rooster and the words white supremacy for the right. Now, the gentlemen of the press, because they're advertisers and because most of them are white and because they're produced by that white institution, never calls the Lowndes County Freedom Organization by its name, but rather they call it the Black Panther Party. Our question is, why don't they call the Alabama Democratic Party the White Cock Party? It is clear to me that that just points out America's problem with sex and color. Not our problem. Not our problem. And it is now white America is going to deal with those problems of sex and color. If we were to be real and to be honest, we would have to admit, we would have to admit that most people in this country see things black and white. We have to do that. All of us do. We live in a country that gears that way. White people would have to admit that they are afraid to go into a black ghetto at night. They are afraid. That's a fact. They're afraid because they'd be beat up, lynched, looted, cut up, etc., etc. That happens to black people inside the ghetto every day, incidentally. And white people are afraid of that. So you get a man to do it for you, a policeman. And now you figure his mentality where he's afraid of black people. The first time a black man jumps, that white man going to shoot him. He's going to shoot him. So police brutality is going to exist on that level because of the incapability of that white man to see black people come together and to live in the conditions. This country is too hypocritical and that we cannot adjust ourselves to its hypocrisy. The only time I hear people talk about nonviolence is when black people move to defend themselves against white people. Black people cut themselves every night in the ghetto. Don't anybody talk about nonviolence. Lyndon Bain Johnson is busy bombing the hell out of Vietnam. Don't nobody talk about nonviolence. White people beat up black people every day. Don't nobody talk about nonviolence. But as soon as black people start to move, the double standard comes into being. You can't defend yourself. That's what you're saying. Because you show me a man who, who would advocate aggressive violence that would be able to live in this country. Show him to me. The double standards again come into itself. Isn't it ludicrous and hypocritical for the political chameleon who calls himself a vice president in this country? So, to stand up before this country and say looting never got anybody anywhere? Isn't it hypocritical for Lyndon to talk about looting, that you can't accomplish anything by looting and you must accomplish it by the legal ways? What does he know about legality? Ask Ho Chi Minh, he'll tell you. 
So that in conclusion, we want to say that number one, it is clear to me that we have to wage a psychological battle on the right for black people to define their own terms, define themselves as they see fit, and organize themselves as they see it. Now the question is how is the white community going to begin to allow for that organizing? Because once they start to do that, they will also allow for the organizing that they want to do inside their community. It doesn't make a difference because we're going to organize our way anyway. We're going to do it. The question is how we're going to facilitate those matters. Whether or not it's going to be done with a thousand uh, policemen with submachine guns or whether or not it's going to be done in a context where it is allowed to be done by white people warding off those policemen. That is the question. And the question is how are white people who call themselves activists ready to start, move into the white communities on two counts on building new political institutions to destroy the old ones that we have and to move around a concept of white youth refusing to go into the army so that we can start then to, be, to build a new world. It is ironic to talk about civilization in this country. This country is uncivilized. It needs to be civilized. It needs to be civilized. And that we must begin to raise those questions of civilization, what it is, and who do it. And so we must urge you to fight now to be the leaders of today, not tomorrow. We've got to be the leaders of today. This country, this country is a nation of thieves. It stands on the brink of becoming a nation of murderers. We must stop it. We must stop it. We must stop it. We must stop it. And then, therefore, on a larger sense, is the question of black people. We are on the move for our liberation. We have been tired of trying to prove things to white people. We are tired of trying to explain to white people that we're not going to hurt them. We are concerned with getting the things we want, the things that we have to have to be able to function. The question is, can white people allow for that in this country? The question is, will white people overcome their racism and allow for that to happen in this country? If that does not happen, brothers and sisters, we have no choice but to say very clearly, move over or we're going to move on over you. Thank you. Chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, uh, Stokely Carmichael, who was later known as Kwame Ture. He was speaking at the University of California at Berkeley on October 29th of uh, 1966. And uh, we're commemorating the 55th anniversary of the Black Panther Party. And as you heard uh, him laying out the history and the objectives of the Lowndes County Freedom Organization, the Black, Pan Black Panther Symbol 
the concept of black power and, of course, the uh, slogan of the original Black Panther Party, Move On Over or We'll Move On Over You. We'll take a break. We'll be back uh, with another speech uh, two years later. Never liked nobody that's been mean to me. I've got a heart full of stone, and I hate the misery. The new came along into the life, destroying me more, mounting up the toil and strife. But I'm a fool. Welcome back, and uh, the music of Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions, the song entitled I'm a Fool for You, and um, right now we want to listen to another speech from uh, Black Panther Party leader Eldridge Cleaver. Uh, This was delivered on October 4th of 1968 at the University of California, Los Angeles, Uh, while Cleaver, uh, at that time a well-known, well-selling author, uh, was the Minister of Information of the Black Panther Party. And he was also a candidate uh, for president on the Peace and Freedom Party ticket uh, in the state of California and other states uh, in the U.S. Uh, let's listen to Elders Cleaver uh, speaking at the University of California at Los Angeles on October 4th of 1968. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure 
to introduce our guest, a remarkable individual, the Peace and Freedom candidate for the Presidency of the United States, Mr. Eldridge Cleaver. Avaricious, 
crazy, dizzy, loony, kooky, funky, punk, faggots of the power structure, corrupt people who want to rule the world, who want to rule the people of this country, and who want to make us believe that they own the state of California, that they own the people of the state of California, having forgotten that they're nothing but public servants, nothing but public servants, that they owe their first duty to the public, and they have no right, none whatsoever, to impose their dim-witted will upon the people. And the people don't have to go for it. The people don't have to go for it. I'm not going to go for it. I say that Ronald Reagan is a punk, a sissy, and a coward. I challenge him to a duel to the death right now. And he can choose, he can choose his own weapon. He could choose a baseball bat, a knife, a gun, or a marshmallow. Now beat him to death with a marshmallow because he's a punk. But he's a coward and he won't do that. He won't confront that. What he does, since he is the chief executive of the state of California, he turns to the machinery of oppression beneath him, namely to the Department of Corrections, to the parole officers, my parole officer in particular, and tells them, twist their arms, force them, and they, he really don't have to force those pigs, but he gets them to revoke my parole. And just as he twisted the arms of those weak-kneed, simple-minded regents, just as he twisted their arms, just as he twisted their arms, he twists the arms of the courts, any other agency under his control, to get rid of Eldridge Cleaver and to send him back to the penitentiary. Well, I'm not going. Fuck him in his ass. Fuck him. I'm not going. I went to the penitentiary to investigate it for you. You might call it a field trip, an extended safari, and I didn't like it. During the time that I was behind those walls, I had the pleasure of visiting every part of the prison, from the hospitals to solitary confinement, and I don't like any of it, not even the medicine, not even the medicine. So let him go to the penitentiary, let him take his mama to the penitentiary, but I want to stay out here where the people are and let the penitentiary be for the pigs, that's who belongs in it. I have been rehabilitated. I am not going to bother no more citizens. All of my hostility, all of the hatred that I have in my heart, all of the bitterness that I have in my heart, and I have it, is for the pigs of the power structure, the machinery of oppression, and a fucked up system that has fucked up our lives and fucked up the world, and that we have to deal with for ourselves and for posterity, whether they like it or not. Whether they like it or not. And it's necessary for us to realize that we have three categories of pigs to deal with. First, foremost, deepest into the pit of evil, we have the avaricious, greedy businessmen. 
those who own the planet Earth, those who own the resources in the planet Earth, those who own us. Second category, we have the hypocritical demagogic politicians. In the third category, we have the ignorant, racist, pig, cops, your local police, Gestapo, occupying army, strong arm force of the power structure. Those are our enemies, broadly outlined. They have detailed categories that we can get into, but those are our enemies. Those are the forces that have to be dealt with, and we have to start by letting them know that we know that every one of them came out of their mother's pussy naked and with nothing, crying into this world like everybody else. They didn't come here with any blue chip stock. They didn't come here with any blue chip stock pinned to their asses. They didn't come here with any deeds of trust giving them eternal and perpetual ownership of the earth. No. They came here like I came here. They came here like you came here. And they're going to leave the way we're going to leave in various ways, depending on how the shit breaks. Because we happen to know, we happen to understand that there are more people in this country than there are pigs, and we know that. And we don't have to be afraid of the pigs, because all they can do is kill us. All they can do is lock us up in their jails. But they can't go on killing us, and they can't keep us in their jails if the people of this country would stand up and tell them, no more, motherfucker, no more. We're not going to have it no more. The McCarthyites, Kennedyites, and those equivocal to the right, those not really often to that right-wing bag, I think they got the message in Chicago when racist pig Daly, Mayor Daly, the butcher, murderer, released his pig upon the people who had come there to express their political positions, helping to ensure that Meathead Humphrey would still maintain his pig-like grasp on the reins of power in the Democratic Party. Let him have the Democratic Party. Let us take the Democratic Party and the Republican Party and all of the pigs ensnared within that party, both of those parties, and let us dump them into the garbage can of history where they belong and let's bury it where we bury the dead. Because if you want to talk about, if you want to talk about tomorrow, if you want to talk about the future, if you want to talk about the 21st century, in fact, if you want to talk about finishing out the 20th century, then you're going to have to start talking about corralling these international gangsters who are putting the world into a position where there's going to be universal death, not just for the niggas. I know a lot of white people think that. They play that numbers game, they tell us we well, only 10%, 12%, 13%, 14% of the population. And whites are in the majority. They got all the guns and all the tanks, all the airplanes and all the bombs. That's only a question of geographical interpretation. Because when you look at the world, 
world is no longer a far-flung planet. The Earth is a neighborhood. It's a neighborhood. Communication and transportation are uptight, and everything is right around the corner, including the specter of genocide which black people have their eyes on. But we see what the races in this country are cooking up for us. We don't need a crystal ball to tell us what's in store for us when we see General Hersey, the man who sends greetings to the young black brothers in the ghetto telling them, come on, boy, and go over there in Vietnam and kill some of those yellow niggas for me. We don't need a crystal ball to read that when we see that same man come out and endorse a featherweight, feather-brained, pint-sized, pump, racist dog like George Wallace of Alabama. We know what's behind that. And if we needed, if we needed any other proof, all we had to do was check the news out and see that General Curtis LeMay, the God of the Strategic Air Command, has been selected by this pint-sized idiot to be his running mate. Running mate to where? Where in the fuck does he think he's going? Yeah. He's running, and he better keep running. And those other pigs, Oink Nixon, Oink Humphrey, Oink all of them, all of them had better start running because there's a storm brewing in the soul of America, and the people are going to rise up and say, up against the wall, motherfucker, because you've done wrong. And we're not going to ask them. We're not going to ask the Board of Regents if they would pass a resolution instructing themselves to get up against the wall, the oppressor has no right, which the oppressor bound to respect. And don't forget it. They ain't got nothing coming. They don't have nothing coming. And we want to make a distinction because we can't go around speaking categorically when we start talking about ethnic groups, races, and people and things. Because some of your allies might be turned against you. So we want to make it very clear for all of the inhabitants of Disneyland, Los Angeles, Chief Redding Pigpen, Snorty Yorty Pigpen, we want to make it clear that we recognize that the Black Panther Party Black people alone cannot deal with this. That it's going to take an awakening generation, a revolutionary generation of white people, young white people who are brave enough and willing to face the challenges of the future, the challenges of the present, to get out of all of these bags that we've been in, to look beyond the ethnocentrism xenophobia that we've all been indoctrinated with, to recognize that the world is a neighborhood, a community, and then move to eradicate every obstacle in our way to make it that way so we can have some peace on this earth.
basic principle that we operate on is that every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet Earth has an absolute right to the very highest, the best standard of living that human knowledge and technology is capable of providing, period. Period. Every man, woman, and child, I don't care what color he is or what country he's in, that he is born into this world and therefore he has the right to live. And it's the responsibility of the organized machinery of society to do everything that it can, everything that it can, everything that it can conceivably do to ensure and to guarantee that everybody gets their issue without no bullshit about it. And we're going to have it that way because that's the only way it's going to be. Because the revolutionary people of the world today are saying that we're going to be part of the democratic destruction of the world or we're going to be part of the democratic regeneration of this burnout planet. It ain't going to be no two ways about it. It's going to be us or it ain't going to be nobody. It's going to be us together or it's going to be chaos and Babylon all over the planet. And we've got to understand that this is the last go-round. Everybody is face-to-face -face with the enemy, toe-to-toe. -to -toe. So we've got to learn to make distinctions, somehow manifest where we are so that we can know who is the enemy and who's not the enemy. And we can start right now by joining in the songs I've written entitled Fuck Around Reagan. And we'll go three times in succession, a brief pause, and three more times, and that might be sufficient, maybe an encore if it's necessary. But I want to see, I want to see if you can relate, I want to see if the people in this auditorium are the people referred to in Newsweek when they talk about George Wallace climbing up the pole. George Wallace is sliding down into the hole. He ain't going nowhere. George Wallace, his image has been inflated by Richard Nixon and his money in order to pose an image of something more to the right than himself. He's in the middle. He's the middle of the rotor now. Dig it? He has George Wallace on his right and Humpty Dumpty on his left. So we have bone-nosed Nixon for president. So can we say, can we sing that song? Fuck Ronald Reagan! Oh, y'all can't sing. Y'all can wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm not no choir leader myself. But let's get it together. One, two, three, four. Fuck Ronald Reagan! Fuck Ronald Reagan! Fuck Ronald Reagan! One, two, three, four. Fuck Ronald Reagan! Fuck Ronald Reagan! Fuck Ronald Reagan!
deal with that. He'll fuck himself, okay? But it's very, very important, very, very important that we recognize what's going on in this country today. The businessmen, the owners of the resources of the planet Earth see a challenge to their continued rule and exploitation of the people because they see empty-handed beggars at their door. Beggars with empty hands, a gun in the other hand, saying, we want ours. So that they have made up this coalition with these demagogues and with these local police. And it's very important to understand what's been going on in Chicago, to understand how off-duty policemen will go up to a courthouse and jump on members of the Black Panther Party, to understand why drunken members of the Oakland Police Department will drive by the Black Panther Party office at night, bang, 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 into a shooting gallery. To understand why you pick up a newspaper today and from the front page to the sport page, you have a grisly record of an increasing number of crimes against the people perpetrated by the guardians of the law. To understand that, we've got to talk about the caste, caste consciousness that's developing, becoming rampant upon within the police departments of this country. We've got to understand that they represent domestically what the armed forces represent internationally, and that they are raised up by some of these noble principles, like defending the borders of civilization against barbaric hordes, wiping out stinky hippies and yippies and niggers, defending civilization, honor, self-sacrificing, guardian angels descended from the first pig in history, St. Michael the Archangel, who was sent down to the people by the power structure at that time and evicted, evicted from that land, evicted from the Garden of Eden, and put out there to earn their living by the sweat of their brow, just because they had exercised their free will and got into something that they wanted to get into, that they were equipped to get into in the first place. So that this pig came down with his flaming sword as these modern-day pigs come down and evicted the people from the Garden of Eden. So that we have this consciousness developing already developed. It is a fact that the police departments are the best organized groups in this country. They have international machinery. They have discipline. They're well financed. They have a program. And they have political spokesmen. You've heard of the International Association of Chiefs of Police. They have their lobbies and they want to remold society into their own image. And so we can't just talk about the military-industrial complex. We've got to talk about the police-military-industrial complex. We've got to talk about a well-organized, not a paramilitary organization, but a strictly military organization 
Trojan horse right here in Babylon that is moving to consolidate its power, fascist vanguard with their spokesmen, with their choice of spokesmen, running from babbling right to babbling left of right. George Wallace speaks for the pigs and the pigs approve of him. Richard Nixon speaks for the pigs and they approve of him. Hubert Horatio Humphrey speaks for the pigs and they approve of him. And the police say right on to all of them, join the line with McCarthy and Kennedy and those who are speaking out, even how, no matter how mildly, for the rights of the people and for an end to their butchery, their wars, and for a new day for the people. And if we can't dig that, if we can't relate to that, then we're not going to make it. It's very doubtful if we're going to make it anyway, because we are behind, they are way ahead, and we're going to have to run ourselves to death. We're going to have to get all the fear out of our hearts for them, and say later for them, and let's talk to each other, and let's organize, and let's get the power that we need. We need all power to the people. We need black power for black people. We need red power for red people. We need brown power for brown people. And we need yellow power for yellow people. And we need white power for white people. Now you can say, now you can get up tight and say white power, but what you're reacting to is not white power, you're reacting to pig power. Because it's very important. You see, it's very important. Because if you had white power, you wouldn't have the pigs on the Board of Regents, the pigs of the power structure, inflicting their pig power upon you. You need white power to deal with that pig power. And that has to be understood. That has to be understood. We say, we say that every people, every ethnic group, every people, has an absolute right to be in control of its own destiny, not to be manipulated by another group, not to be controlled and exploited by another group, and I mean every group has that right, and I don't care what color it is, and we have to draw the line there and defend that and then remove the contradictions between us and that. Now, how are we going to deal these regal regions. We say that the students invited us to deliver 10 lectures. Pigs say that we can only deliver one lecture. So we're going to move to deliver 20. We're going to move to deliver 20. And we're not. We're not going to submit. We're not going to accept what they want us to do because it's non-functional for the task of our time. I hear that the fire department down here in Disneyland wants more firepower. And I hear that the chief of police has beefed up his patrols, increased his patrols in order to more firmly oppress the people. Well, the Black Panther Party started out with patrols of the black community, and we want to serve notice now that we feel that the time is here, that we are going to have to go back to our patrols 
because the pigs are advancing on the people and the people just have to reclaim the streets for the people and from the pigs. And we say also that it is time for the white people in this country to reclaim their streets from this occupying army because it occupies the white community after a fashion just as it occupies every other community. And if you don't believe that, go outside and say, I want to vote for Eugene McCarthy. Go out there and do that. The police department belongs to the ruling class in this country. And you may think that you're all members of the ruling class. When the rule was perpetuated in the name of white supremacy, yeah, you could identify with that and say, yeah, well, I'm part of that. But white supremacy is not going to make it. That's over with. Because the people of the world don't want to hear it. And we have to understand that it is possible. It is possible for white people not to be racist, just that we know it's possible for everybody else not to be racist. It's possible for the Germans not to be racist. It's possible for everybody in the world to live together on the same planet Earth without being at each other's throats. And if we don't believe that, we just give it up. I say that it's possible for the Arabs to get along with the Jews.
that I can see where you're at, and I can appreciate where you're at, and I can relate to where you're at, because it's clear to me that you have made a break with the bloody heritage, the racist heritage of this country. We have definitely, black people have definitely made a break with it, and ain't gonna have it no more. So harnessing the forces of the two revolutions in the two communities, we can put together a force that is powerful enough to change the course of the history of this country because we don't like where it's going, do we? Do we like where it's going? I don't dig what the handwriting on the wall says. It's Greek, it ain't talking to me. Pig is writing it, he's talking to himself because we're not listening no more. We are dancing to the tune of a different drummer. He could do the jig, he can dance the jig. Hey, Bunchy, what's happening? He can dance the jig to the Star Springer Banner if he wants to. But we are going to have to dance to a tune that does not insult anybody, anybody who has humanity intact. We are going to have to dance to a tune that embraces all of us and learn how to defend each other how to rescue each other from the snares of the pig, and how ultimately to abolish the very existence of these pigs, of the power structure. At the bottom, and goodbye all of you who leave, because there are a whole lot of people here, and I know you have some place to go, and I'm sorry about all that. But there are enough people in this country to deal with this situation. Private property, private property, the foundation of this economic system, this capitalistic economic system, has got to be abolished, has got to be abolished, that we have got to get into, we have got to get into a frame of mind where we recognize that Karl Marx had a whole lot to say about how our society should be organized. We have got to get into that. We don't have to be ashamed of Karl Marx. We should feel the same way about Karl Marx as we were taught to feel about Jesus because he carried what Jesus was talking about to a higher and a more practical level. That's what he did. That's what he did, and you can hate the truth if you want to, but those who relate to the truth can hold fast to that and get together organized and we can deal with those who want to kick their heads in the sky or in a hole like an ostrich or like a Donald Duck or a Mickey Mouse. It don't matter. It don't matter because there are enough people to deal with it. Internationally, we have got to unite with the revolutionary people of the world, and we have got to be able to say that we love you, Mao Zedong, that we love you, Ho Chi Minh, that we love you, Fidel Castro. We've got to say that. We've got to be able to say that because if we don't, we're still playing the game, perpetuating the myths that this country has developed in order to justify its manifest destiny to be the imperialist, warmongering, controller and ruler of the planet Earth, exploiter and butcherer of the people. We've got to be able to relate to the dynamics of the system. Do we want to get out of Vietnam? Do we want to bring the boys home? Do we want to bring the boys home? but we don't want to bring them home and put them on the police forces so they can do to us what they've been doing to the Vietnamese people, do we? So what we've got to do is deal with this system in such a way 
recognize that their duty is here because they've got to come back here and save their mamas and their papas and their babies and their loved ones and their fellow men. Just as those boys found it necessary to break out of the stockade yesterday because they didn't want to go over there and murder human beings. Because they don't want to murder human beings, they're put in the, in the stockade. And we have got to let them know that we recognize what they're doing and that we welcome them back home because we need a people's militia right here to defend us against these aggressors. And don't think, don't think that those people over there in Vietnam are all idiots. Don't think that they're all stupid. Don't think they're all blind and can't see what's going on. They just got to get into that and they will come back. They will shoot their way back. They will come back. We here confronted with this situation, then insulted by public servants who have become so arrogant. You know the attitude that's rampant throughout the civil service, throughout that whole apparatus. When you walk in for some service, they insult you. How many of you feel good when you walk up to a cop and ask him for some lost directions? People are even afraid to approach a cop to ask him to do his duty because they know that he will shoot mace in your face when ordered to. He will hit you upside of your head with a club when ordered to. Whether he wants to or not, whether he was thinking about that or not, doing his duty like every Adolf Eichmann in history has done it and said that he's only doing his job. War crimes. Those are war crimes. Those are crimes against the people. Those are human rights crimes. And we've got to be writing them down in the book because they have to be prosecuted and brought to justice by the people for the crimes that they have committed. Why can't they? Why can't Lynchon Baines Johnson go to the penitentiary for committing mass murder? Or why can't he be hung by his neck like they hung Tojo? Why can't they hang him by his neck? If they can go over there to Nuremberg and hang the Nazis and lock the Nazis up for a thousand years, why can't these racist dogs be locked up forever? Why can't they? Who are they? Who are they? Who are they to put the victim on trial? Who are they to get Huey P. Newton on night, at night and open in the middle of the black community and try to kill him and then put him on trial for murder? Who are they? Who are these insane motherfuckers who shot me and then charged me with attempted murder on a goddamn pig? Who are these fools? Who are they who shot my brother Bobby Hutton down beside me in cold blood and tell a lie and said that he tried to run when he was blind from tear gas and when they had stomped us both for five minutes and they say he tried to run and they blew him away? are these motherfuckers who think they're going to get away with some shit like that? Who are they? They are not going to get away with it. They are not going to get away with that. And if we say that they're not going to get away with that, how can these fools on the border region think they're going to get away with this little Mickey Mouse shit? We're not beginning to relate to that. We're not going to relate to that. That's a nuisance. Even the uh, very conservative academic senate 
couldn't relate to that. All those old professors who equivocate for days, they couldn't even relate to that. They recognize that this is an election year and that Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck have political goals in November at the ballot box. They know that Max Rafferty, with his Ph.D. in physical education, has made, has made his political career, has based his political career on screaming like a fool about the mention of communism in the footnotes of some textbook. That's, that's a simple motherfucker. That could be your next senator. You got a, a song and dance band, and, and now you're going to get a, 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 a volleyball coach or something. <laughs> to, preside, to preside over your life. There's a saying that the people get the rulers that they deserve. But I'd be goddamn if we deserve what we get. No. no. I don't care. Look here. I'm fully aware that even this racist government found it necessary to steal some of Stokely Carmichael's speeches and sign their name to it and put it out as a current report and confess to what was already well known that this is a racist country and that white racism is responsible for what's going on. Even they could relate to that. How can we not? Say right on. Okay, it's a white racist country. It's a white racist power structure. And we're going to dismantle it. Take it apart piece by piece, which is our right. And we could just quote the Declaration of Independence to them. Remind them that it's been universally acknowledged that whenever machinery that has been set up by the people to administer the affairs of society become non-functional, the people have the right to rearrange it as they see fit, and they don't have to consult their former employees. They don't have to consult ex-governors. You don't have to ask an ex-governor if you can have medical care, not only for the agent, for, but for everybody. Who can say, who can say that old people elderly people who have spent their lives in the system are not entitled to medical attention. They are entitled to the very best medical attention that science is capable of providing them. They're entitled to that. Certainly the children, everybody. They can afford it because they got money, you dig it? They can go out there and lay up the cedars of Lebanon Hospital and get another heart. They can get another heart. And there was a girl in San Diego who was afflicted with a respiratory disease, and she needed an iron lung. And the iron lung cost two or $3,000, and she didn't have it. And some man in Chicago who had had one, an iron lung for his wife who died, had to come forward and give it to this young girl so that she could live. And this fool, Ronald Reagan, was somewhere playing golf or trying to remember a script or somewhere fucking with the University of California. How can we live? What are we going to do for the next four years? We're in trouble for four more years unless we declare in our hearts that the government has been usurped by the pigs. We have government 
of the pigs, for the pigs, and by the pigs, it's irrelevant, and we have got to move to create our forces that will bring it back where it's supposed to be, where it never has been before in the history of this country. In the history of this country, we have got to close the book, close the book on all of American history up to this point, because it has all been foul, corrupt, inhuman, inhumane, and written in the blood of the people. So we have got to close that book, close it all the way, move in the culture revolution, and write a new book, a new history that we can all teach to all of our children, where we don't have to have one book for this ethnic group, one book for this ethnic group. We need one book for the world, and we have got to write it. A generation, a generation of people who are willing to face the future, willing to confront the future, and with nothing but enthusiasm that they can deal with all of the problems that the future holds for them, including this present problem of transitioning from what we have now to what we want to get into. We've got to do that, and we want to let the chief of police of Los Angeles County, the sheriff of Los Angeles County, the mayor of Los Angeles, we want to let all the mayors, all the chiefs of police, all of the sheriffs, everywhere, all over this country, joining in with all the people of the world saying, you have got to stop right now or the people are going to wage a people's war against you. A people's war against you. Now, this is probably premature. This is, why they want to, this is why they want to violate my parole, take me back, because I'm talking about dealing with these pigs on that level. Not just the pigs out there on the streets with the guns, but all of the pigs with the power structure to put them back in their place. Now, you don't have, you're not hypnotized, are you? You're not on the screen. You're not going to run out there. You might not dig anything I say. But you have a mind of your own. You refuse to be programmed by anybody. I do. I'm not going to let nobody program me. I'm not going to let nobody program me. Don't let anybody program you. You move and you unite with those who share a point of view with you after you've made up your own mind. Just because the regions say oink, you don't have to say oink. You don't have to. I want to quote to you something that Elijah Muhammad wrote and which I found very helpful to me. He said, the devil will say, Satan will say, when the matter is decided, that I had no power over you. I called you and you came. You have free will. You do have free will because you can think. They wouldn't let you in the University of UCLA, University of Southern California, whatever this motherfucker is, if you couldn't think. Aren't you all thinking, people? Whether they let you in here or not, you can think. High school dropouts can think. They may not be able to write dissertations or scripts for Ronald Reagan, but they can think, and they can see through bullshit, and they can know, they know where to go, they know how to move. If the downtrodden people, the rickshaw boys, the coolies, the peasants in China, have enough sense to get behind Miles' tongue and say, right on, lead me on. 
if the people of Cuba downtrodden, you know how they used to talk about them, simple, ignorant peasants in Cuba, crazy, siesta sleeping, you did. If they had enough sense to get behind Brother Fidel and run Batista away, then why is it that the Babylonians here in racist, decadent Babylon, why come they can't be? Is all thought gone? Is all thought gone out of Babylon? Is the ability to move when it's necessary going out of Babylon? Start with Marco Polo and check this shit on down to today. Marco Polo did not drive into China in a Cadillac. He got into China damn near dead, and the Chinese laid him out on a piece of silk and nursed him back to health. Just as the pilgrims didn't drive up on Plymouth Rock on the Queen Mary or on the President's line, they went there uptight, and the Indians taught them corn, taught them turkey, taught them how to survive, and they taught the Indians how to die, how to become extinct. And they taught niggers how to be transported from Africa in boats against their will and turned into slaves, turned into Negroes. And to do, go through all those changes for all those years, they have taught us that and they have taught themselves in the process to become racist. And just as all of that has been taught, it can be untaught, and we can go back to that day and move again. Now I want to say something that I think is very important. I want to say this to the ladies. Later for all you ugly men. I don't like no men. I stayed in the penitentiary eight, nine years, and I saw enough of you motherfuckers, you see? The only reason that I tolerate even looking at you because it takes a combination of a man and a woman to produce another woman. But uh, I have a bias against you. And I, I dig women. I dig them. Because I recognize that the fourth world revolution, the women's revolution, is coming into its own. And I am the self-appointed spokesman for pussy power. I say, I say that political power, political power grows out of the lips of a pussy. Now, no woman could come down here and say that and get away with it, you dig it? They got something that would do it, but uh, I think that they would be put up tight by the Victorians in the society, and they can't put me up tight because I know that they're up tight. But it is necessary to realize this, that you're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. There's no more middle ground. There's no more middle ground. If I'm over here and a pig has this billy club whooping my head, and you're standing over there undecided as to who you're going to help me as a pig, you're part of the problem. So that I'm saying that everything can be progressive, everything can be revolutionary, love can be progressive, love can be revolutionary, sex can be progressive, sex can be revolutionary, and it can be reactionary. And if you are a revolutionary lady, or even a progressive lady, how can you justify laying up with part of the problem? You're giving aid and comfort to the enemy. You have a duty. You have a duty to use the ultimate weapon against them. 
cut off their sugar. You tell them, look, man, uh, you run around here talking all that shit, but uh, look at these pigs around here. Deal with that situation. Deal with that. Go out there and join the forces that are trying to deal with the situation, and then come back to me. But until you do that, don't call me on the telephone, don't write me none of them simple letters, and don't come knocking on my door. I don't want to hear it. Tell them that, and you will find that there are enough revolutionary people here, revolutionary men, not just males, that I'm sure that they will arrange to hang their names on some bulletin board and their phone numbers so that if the ladies get uptight and need a little help, they will come running. I'm quite sure of that. And there's nothing, there's nothing I've seen about that. There's nothing I've seen about saying a motherfucker because every father is a motherfucker, see? Every mother is a father fucker or something is wrong. So, I mean, what, you know, we all know what we got. We've all studied biology. We know what's up under these rags, and I know what's up under them rags. But, you know, ain't no more secrets like that. And it's just, it's kind of poetic to say, uh, motherfucker instead of saying mother intercourser. You know, that would be kind of... But see, see there, is, there is a historical, there's a legitimate historical genesis of the use of the term motherfucker by a lot of uh, niggas, right? Just like there's a history to that word, there's a history to every word. Because the matriarchal society, the structure of the family that was forced upon black people during slavery, when the father was put up tight and moved wherever they wanted to move him, and the mother became the central figure in the family, the one who was venerated and looked up to, respected uppermost by the children, she became the symbol of the highest standards that you judge anything by, and the worst thing that a cat could do, perform as some of the pigs of the power structure are said to do, and commit incest with his own mother. He was considered to be like a captain who was gone down, right? So he was a motherfucker and he was wrong. And there's nothing wrong with that. If it breaks your ears, there's nothing wrong with your ears. There's nothing wrong with history. History is just there. You don't have to endorse it, but you better recognize it. And it's up against the wall, motherfucker for the pig. We need all power to the people. We need student power. We need faculty power. And we need some guest lecture power. Okay. We need all of that. And I want you to know this. Whether they shoot us down right now, this minute, boom, blown away. Whether they get fortunate enough to drag us off to prison. No matter what they do to us, that it is extremely important that we realize now before it is too late, while we do have time, that it is necessary to make the ultimate sacrifice of necessary to defend principles, to take a firm stand for a new day for humanity, and not to retreat from that because history is running in that tide, history is with you, and that there is no force that can be brought to bear that can stop history and that tide from prevailing. That if you die, you die doing something worthwhile instead of just dying, getting run over, instead of just getting shot out trying to rob a liquor store, instead of taking an overdose of dope,
instead of getting shot over there in Vietnam, fucking with those people over there. Because they wiping ass, nigga. You can do that, you die, you die and you live, and you fight in order to live, in order to rescue the world by changing the course of the history of this country. And we can start right now by keeping Elder Cleaver out of the penitentiary. Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, the uh, former Minister of Information of the Black Panther Party, Eldridge Cleaver, uh, speaking at uh, the University of California, Los Angeles, on uh, October 4th of 1968, uh, while he was a candidate uh, for president on uh, the Peace and Freedom Party ticket of 1968. And that's going to conclude uh, our program uh, for uh, today. And uh, we'd like to remind our listeners that uh, they can have access to this program uh, by uh, logging on to uh, the Pan-African Radio Network, and uh, that's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's forward slash Pan-African Journal. And uh, you can also read the Pan-African Newswire at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. Com. And, um, of course, uh, the Pan-African Newswire is a seven-day-a-week, uh, 24-hour-a-day uh, news service. Uh, it has links uh, to uh, all of the major uh, news agencies uh, throughout the African continent and, indeed, uh, throughout the world. So log on uh, to uh, the Pan-African Newswire. And uh, we're going to be uh, closing out uh, with the music of uh, Grant Green. Uh, and of course, um, we will be back uh, with more uh, programs uh, from uh, the Pan African Journal. And of course, uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe, signing off and have a beautiful week.